This is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome into Seattle Sports Night right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. A late night edition of Seattle Sports at Night. Shout out to you for stopping by. Curtis Rogers and the quarterback Jake Heaps here with you. On this Thursday night, Jake, wipe the sleep from your eyes. Hey, there's no sleep here. I'm fired up to be here, man. Let's go. (laughs) Always psyched to be here for sure. Lots to get to tonight on this quick one-hour edition of Seattle Sports at Night. Uh, NFL Draft, just a couple of days. We're actually just a week away. It's crazy, right? Yeah, absolutely. It sneaks up on you. It feels like in the offseason – you're just counting down to the next day that'll get you through the offseason. It helped that the Seahawks had that April 15th deadline with Russell Wilson's deal because going from the combine to the draft, there may not have been a lot to talk about, but right. the April 15th deadline certainly gave us a ton to speak of. But now we're a week away from the NFL draft. Kind of the quiet period, I feel like, in, in draft preparation. It is. Everything just kind of... Everybody's left to their own devices, mm-hmm. and now teams are really putting together their draft boards if they haven't already. If they haven't already, they're they're way behind, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I think teams are now starting to zero in on guys who they would absolutely 100% take if, if they're available at that spot in the draft. So uh, Seahawks definitely among that group. Yeah. Uh, and I think right now we're going to see a lot of, of guys who come through here, and, and the Seahawks show a lot of interest in them. Obviously, we've seen it from a lot of offensive players, some defensive players. We talked about it last night, not a lot of offensive line and and running back guys, but I don't know if that signals a shift in how the Seahawks are thinking, but I'm excited to see where they go in the next week. Pick 21 or if it's at at another pick, but I'm super hyped to see where this franchise is going to go. Yeah, for sure. There there is is a lot of excitement going into this draft because you've got a young team right now that's built around Russell Wilson, and, and hopefully you got Bobby Wagner, Jaron Reed, Frank Clark. We'll see what his future looks like uh, come draft day on day one uh, with a potential trade possibly happening. Uh, but I, overall, you've got some really nice pieces overall, and you have the ability to build off of what you were able to, to, able to do last year. And now it's about finding the talent that can help get you to the next place, get you to the next uh, phase of this thing and so that's why for me I have more anticipation for this draft than maybe any uh, of the recent ones and maybe the last two years um, because it's going to be fascinating to see how John Schneider maneuvers for draft picks uh, and how he's going to make that work how he's going to acquire more picks is it through a trading of a Frank Clark is it through trading down in the draft uh, or are they so bold to say, hey, we found our guy that we really, really want that can be a major difference maker for us at pick number 21 and stick with their four picks? I mean, we'll we'll see what happens. If we know anything about John Schneider, that will not happen. They'll try and desperately find a way to acquire more picks uh, and try and pick into the mid to late rounds. Let's not waste any more time. Let's do it. As we start off every single night here on Seattle Sports Tonight, we check out what is on the timeline. And like we talked about, the Seahawks being a week away from the NFL draft, they can now focus on the task at hand with the Wilson negotiations behind them and whether that task at hand also involves 
Frank Clark's future with the organization right. Curtis, remains to be seen. Isn't it funny how it comes out that there was so much drama about this April 15th deadline that now you hear John Schneider say, actually, this was a good idea. I mean, who knew that that would actually come out of the words of his mouth? It was a good idea to get this done and to get it out of the way. Uh, I, I think certainly if you were to ask around the last two weeks before that happened, it was like, ooh, I... I April 15th deadline. I don't know why you're making it, but kind it's certainly the, uh, the white knuckles. For sure. For sure. Uh, and I think for them, it brings some clarity both to Russell Wilson and the Seahawks and what they need to do, how they're moving forward. Uh, and yes, it was a little bit of double duty to work on uh, Russell and to, to do the draft preparations, but now it's over. Now they've got clear focus, undivided attention. They've been working extremely hard to get ready for this draft. And, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of fun. I don't think we're going to see a surprise running back pick uh, in the first round. I mean, we we say that. (laughs) None of us thought that was going to be the case last year. I I hope that it's not the case this year. I, I was driving in the car on my way home, and that pick happened, and I immediately called my buddy and was like, what the heck is going on here? Like, yeah. I like Rashad Penny, but man, what is going on? That was a, a big time surprise pick. Uh, but in this draft, they don't have room to to really do things like that. Uh, they've got to go after their needs, and they got to be pretty aggressive about it. Kind of like what Stacy Ross said last night in, in her her. Did we settle on mantra or mantra? Mantra, mantra. Okay. mantra. Her mantra was "Don't get cute," and I think. The Seahawks may have done that last year in the first round with Rashad Penny. Obviously, you see the flashes of talent that he showed last year. And yeah. Like, yeah, this guy could very well be a starting running back in the NFL one day. But was he the biggest need for the Seahawks at that time? Remains to be seen. But yeah. that's also begs the question, do you draft for biggest need or best player available? In the Seahawks' mind, he was probably the best player available rather than biggest need because you had... Chris Carson, you had Mike Davis already there, mm-hmm. J.D. McKissick, C.J. Well, you Prosite. got you got to think about it though, Curtis. At that point in time, though, they didn't know Chris Carson. They they knew True. they knew his talent, what he could be, but he got injured in Game Four of the season. So yeah. you you can't you can't bank your running back future, especially after it being injury plagued the last two seasons, three seasons before that. So I I, I don't I'm not. Uh, upset about them picking Rashad Penny in the first round. It it it, uh, it makes sense when you think about it from that standpoint. They were trying to solidify that future position and not have any worries. And hopefully, what it ends up doing, Curtis, is it it sets up one of the best, if not the best, uh, one-two combo in the NFL in terms of running back tandems in Chris Carson and Rashad Penny. That is the hope. Yeah, I mean, if those two guys can continue to develop and continue to be the the workhorses that I think the Seahawks have been pegged for, watch out. That becomes an incredible weapon to have. Uh, some local news today. The key arena renovations, as reported by Jeff Baker of the Seattle Times, getting pushed back a little bit. Yeah. Pushed back from even an original pushback. And also the price tag continues to climb. It was originally supposed to be about a $500 million renovation. It then get bumped, it got bumped up to $800 million. Now it's up to $900 million, And the scheduled time of completion is now June of 2021. Not a good sign for a logistical standpoint because the original start date, they, would ho- they had hoped to be 2020. Yes. Now June of 2021, 
is pushed up right against the start of the NHL season, which is in September. The WNBA season that year begins in May. Things are getting a little close. They are. The key arena. It's starting to push it a little bit for sure. And that's and that's the part. When the first pushback happens, like, hey, look, this is no big deal. This happens all the time. This is the way of doing construct major construction in Seattle. That's just how this works. If you're if you're building a house, if you're uh, doing a commercial project, this is just the way it goes. From my experience, I, I grew up with uh, a home building family. They had a home building business, and it was just constantly there were delays. But in, in, in so the first time it happened, whatever. Second time this happens, and now you're continuing to see this the the price continue to grow and and really really pushing the the, the date on uh, starting to affect the WNBA, the storm. And also your potential start in 2021, which was the overall goal. That was the latest you wanted to get things going. Yeah. To me, now that starts to, to cause concern. And so they don't really have any room for error at this point in time now. Uh, and if they do, then that is going to be con- uh, uh, looked at as a major, major uh, disappointment. Yeah, they got to be on their P's and Q's quickly here I, I don't know if there's a contingency plan in place if this arena is not done by 2021 because it sounds by all accounts that the nhl is going to start they're going to have a team in 2021 i think whether the arena is ready or not maybe yeah they play in portland maybe they split an arena with vancouver for a little bit maybe right. you know they go up to everett because they've got at least you know a, a, a decent barn but Hopefully it doesn't come to that. Hopefully this arena gets done in time for the NHL to arrive and they don't have any kind of hiccups at the start of the the opening of the arena, which, I mean, there's going to be. That's always happens with when you open a new building like that, but you don't want it to affect the on-ice product. You don't want it to affect the fan experience Correct. In, a, in a negative way to where it gives it a black eye for the duration of its existence. Hopefully... OVG and, and they can get it built. Now, the one good thing about this is that the city of Seattle is not on the hook for any of this. No taxpayer dollars are being wasted here. This Correct. is entirely from OVG's pockets. So it's it's not a it's not a, a they're not taking it from you and me. No. They're not taking it from you out there listening. So it's not our money. No, it's not. And hopefully it doesn't. <laughs> and hopefully with that, it doesn't uh, give us a cause for concern to, you know, back out or anything like that could potentially happen. I don't I don't see that happening any anytime soon or, or that even in the cards. But what I would hope is, is that when this thing gets started, that it is clean. It is it is where you can jump right in and not have any concern, like you were saying, uh, that once the NHL's here, I can be a fan, I can be excited, and I can be proud of this franchise immediately. Absolutely. Some other weird stories out there on uh, tonight's timeline. Jeopardy contestant Mike Holzhauer, he's, he's been on a run here. He's a beast. He broke his own single-episode winnings record, taking home over $131,000 in, in an episode. And he answered all 40 questions he buzzed in on correctly. Didn't miss a single <laughs> shot. Like that's Steph Curry levels of heat check, right? Yes, there. it is. I, I am just amazed at this stuff because the knowledge that you have to have, the useless knowledge yeah. you have, is amazing. <laughs> I, I there probably is no question that can be thrown at you that you don't have an answer to. That guy just—that's one of the great party tricks. Just yes, just go into a party and be like, "Hey, ask me any random trivia question. I bet I know the answer." 
And people are like, okay, what is, you know, and then he gets it right. And it's yeah. like, oh, my God. I had a coach. I had a coach at the University of Kansas that could literally rattle off almost any movie. And he could tell you the year and he could tell you um, he could tell you probably the first, the four major actors in that movie. Wow. It was insane. And I'm talking about from, you know, most recent all the way to like the 70s. It was Jeez. insane. So to have that kind of overall knowledge about everything uh, is is fascinating to me. Now, the NBA playoffs going on right now. Yes. Portland has a 2-0 series lead on Oklahoma City, which us being Sonics fans, that is great news. But there's some bad news about Uh-oh. this series. What What is that? So schematic. Think- schematic. Did someone get hurt? No, no, no. Okay. So the Blazers have a 2-0 series lead right now, but they just got one of the worst curses in sports put down on them. Drake took a picture in a Damian Lillard jersey no! and posted it to Instagram. <laughs> so all of a sudden now, OKC may start storming back in this series, which is terrible news for Sonics fans. How could you? Drake. Drake. You know the powers that you have. Leave why, them alone. Yeah, why would you do that? Damian Lillard, he's a, he's a nice guy. He knew exactly what he was doing. Oh. I, be, I bet you he's boys with Rus- Russell Westbrook. Oh, he would be. He would be. If, oh. if, if, that, if that's... If he did that on in, on purpose, shame on you, Drake. Yeah, shame on you. That's that's so unfortunate. Coming up in about a half hour from now, big if true. ESPN's Jeff Passan. He joined Brock and Salk bright and early this morning. What does he think about the Mariners' playoff chances? Maybe surprising to hear what he has to say. But coming up next, Russell Wilson included a no trade clause in his contract extension with the Seahawks. What does that actually mean for him and the Seahawks? We talk that next. Curtis Rogers, Jake Heap, Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacy Rost. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back into Seattle Sports Tonight. The Coors Light text line is there for you, 710-710. It's always there for you. Just as we are, Curtis Rogers and Jake Heaps with you on Seattle Sports at Night. Coming up in about 15 minutes, Jeff Passan of ESPN.com was on with Brock and Salk today and talked about the Mariners' playoff hopes, which is interesting to say. Playoffs? Exactly. As Jim Mora so famously said years ago, which is interesting to say in a year in which we all had pegged as a step back. Maybe the Mariners didn't. They, They viewed it as a retooling, so what is their chances at a playoff run yeah we're just 20 games into the season but there could be uh could be something in the cards based off of how ridiculous the american league has been so far this season that's coming up in 15 minutes from now but uh, the, the biggest story of the week clearly russell wilson's extension with the seahawks coming to an agreement on the 15th it's weird how the days leading up to the extension sort of crept along where they weren't moving along fast at all. It just was like, okay, we're, what, six days away? Oh, my goodness, we're five days away. Now Now it's been three days since, and, you know, time just moves forward. Yep. But the biggest takeaway I think a lot of people had from this extension, obviously Russ staying with the Seahawks organization, at least contractually obligated for the next four seasons beyond 2019. 
But there's also the little little no trade clause thrown in there, which yes. is kind of a rarity in sports nowadays, not just and in the it's NFL. A, it's a first for John Schneider as well. It is. This is the very first one he's handed out as GM of the Seahawks. I can't think of anybody more deserving of one, being the quarterback and, and just all of it Russell Wilson has accomplished and what he could still accomplish in his NFL career. A lot of people have viewed it, though, as Russell Wilson's dedication to the Seahawks organization, to the city of Seattle. Mm-hmm. He wants to be here for life. This is this is what he wants to be here for, and that's why he included a no-trade clause in his contract. But is that the real reason why he was insistent on putting a no-trade clause in that deal? <laughs> I look at it differently. Yeah. I look at it, and, and I look at it as though... This is Russ just saying, I want to be in control of where I play. Yeah. And this is it, to have this in my back pocket gives me some kind of leverage if the Seahawks ever choose to move on from me the way that, let's just go back in history, the way the Packers moved on from Brett Favre, the yep. way the 49ers moved on from Joe Montana, the way the Colts moved on from Peyton Manning. You've got mm-hmm. three of maybe the top five quarterbacks and you ever. Can throw out you could throw out most recently – Alex Smith and the Chiefs, yeah. right, uh, moving on from him and, and taking on Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, so you've got these veteran quarterbacks, obviously Favre, Manning, and Montana accomplishing much more than Alex Smith has in his career, but still a guy who has had a lot of years in the league, a guy who has you know taken the 49ers to an NFC title game before. All these guys didn't have that worked into their deals, and teams were able to move them at free will. Yep. And they had no say in it. Russell Wilson taking this, I think, is his way of saying, I want to be able to control where I play. Mm-hmm. And for the time being, yeah, I want to be here in Seattle. This is where I want to be. I've got a lot left to accomplish. But if it ever comes to that, mm-hmm. I want to dictate where I go. I, I think you're dead on, Curtis. I, I think there's a difference between your desire where you want to play, and I, and that 100% is in Seattle. He wants to be in Seattle. He wants to be a lifer here. All those things that he said in his press conference. The other take uh, that some people have is even more skeptical than that, uh, Curtis, is that for all the talk that there was about him wanting to go to New York and this and that, this was their way to cover their tracks and say, nope, see, all of those rumors were false and that Russell wants to stay here. Um, and, and I think it's a little more deep. I, I, I don't see it as devious as that I see it as more of the range of what we're talking about right now is that number one he wanted to be in control of his future this April 15th deadline that he said was about being in control of his future and trying to figure out where he can be and it and he wanted to know long term where his future was going to be whether it was going to be in Seattle whether it was going to be somewhere else priority to him was to be in Seattle he wants to be in Seattle but the other thing is is that you have to understand from him, he's looking at it from a personal standpoint, a business standpoint, not just in football, but also outside of football. There are a lot of other people that rely on him. He's got a business office that's here in Seattle. He's got people that work for him. Um, and him moving to another city would directly impact those people. So um, that is a big deal to him to be able to say, look, I know where I'm going to be for the next four or five years and there's no question about it. The rug cannot be pulled out from underneath me, uh, and and I can bank on this. And the priority is to be a Seattle for uh, a Seattle Seahawk for his entire football career. 
But if there was anything to ever change, it would be on his terms and not necessarily uh, through a trade and the Seahawks acquiring the next you know incumbent guy that they see and, and getting rid of Russell Wilson. Seahawks GM John Schneider, he spoke yesterday to the media at the press conference uh, announcing Russell Wilson's extension and was asked if the no-trade clause was an issue for the organization. No, I mean, we want, we want him to be here for life, right? So um, it's something that, you know, I needed to discuss with, with, with Jody. And, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's something that, that um, I mean, it's part of a negotiation. There's a lot of different components to negotiations, and that was just one of them. Jody being Jody Allen, sister of Paul Allen, who is now the team owner. Uh, what do you think NFL players are going to be able to take from how Russell Wilson handled his negotiation? Because I think in the last couple of years, certainly, players have taken it more on themselves, I think, in years past, in saying, like, I am in control of my destiny. It's not these teams that... So that has just kind of been the norm. We've yeah. seen Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown most specifically kind of take their future into their hands. Whether they've burned bridges along the way, you know, has been a, you know, obviously they, Antonio Brown certainly has with Pittsburgh. Le'Veon Bell definitely did as well. Yeah. And yeah, they may not have made friends along the way, but ultimately they got what they wanted. Mm-hmm. Russell Wilson, he got what he wanted, but he didn't have to burn a bridge along the way. And maybe it, it could have gotten to that point had they not reached this agreement by the fifteenth. But just looking at how Wilson handled this negotiation, where he gave the team a firm deadline and said, "I'm not talking to you beyond this, mm-hmm. and if you want to do business, this is where you're going to meet me at." Rather than teams kind of pushing guys around the way the Seahawks may have with like Earl Thomas over the last year. Correct. Uh, it, there's different approaches, and I think ultimately what it comes down to is is when you have a franchise quarterback, an elite quarterback, uh, things are different for you. You have more command. You have more say, uh, and uh, the organization is willing to respond differently because it can be a franchise-altering uh, course of action. Uh, with an Antonio Brown situation, uh, to me, he was he was the first non-quarterback to kind of take it truly in his own hands and be able to strong arm a organization to do something, and he did it in a very negative way. Um, he basically made himself such a cancer to the locker room that they said, "Okay, we don't want this presence in our organization anymore." Um, and surprisingly, he was able to get everything he wanted out of it uh, with his contract with the Oakland Raiders after he was traded. Le'Veon Bell went to extreme measures to uh, to just simply not play. Look, I'm not going to put my body through risk if I'm not going to get the contract that I want. Um, and he didn't win ultimately with you know big number figures, but he got the guaranteed money that he was he was seeking for and and so yeah I I think you're going to see more and more players feel empowered and try and take a stand as much as you possibly can uh and and again it's going to work for some and for some it's going to end drastically differently and that's where I think this new CBA is going to be extremely fascinating to see how it unfolds when you got Richard Sherman at the helm you know kind of taking the, the discussions over and guaranteed money is going to be one of the biggest sticking points for them. I'm glad you bring up the, the CBA that expires in 2020. 
Could you ever see NFL contract negotiations get to a point where it kind of models the NBA, where players have the ultimate sway in where they go and, Not a and, and what they do? Not a chance. It, the NFL is a totally different animal. You've got 53 other guys. Uh, you've got 90-man rosters. There's way too many guys out there to be throwing around guaranteed money. If you want guaranteed money, then you're going to take less contract. You're going to get overall less dollar amount. And it's probably and, shorter year amounts, Correct, too. exactly. You know, Kirk Cousins, three years. Uh, you're not going to get long-term uh, uh, future guarantees. Uh, there's just too much injury that happens in that sport, too much of a risk from an NFL standpoint. The other side of it, too, is – uh, when you look at it, also gambling is going to be another side of this thing that's going to take yeah, on a completely the legalization of it. And yeah, then you got a team in Las role. Vegas as well. Yes, so I, that's the part. It's going to be a, a, there's going to be so many different elements to the CBA that uh, there's going to be a lot to negotiate. There's going to be a lot to fight over, and we'll see if the players are able to stand strong. Because up to this point, when it comes to every CBA, they may get a tiny little win. But overall, the owners always walk out on top. And we'll, we'll see if the players can make any significant movement in the way business is done between uh, ownership and player. 20 minutes from now, it's time for another edition of Four Down Territory. Which high-ranking draft prospect are you completely out on? Text that in, Coors Light text line 710-710. But up next, it's time for another edition of Big If True. Jeff Passan on with Brock and Salk this morning. Talking about the Mariners' playoff hopes, even after a six-game losing streak. We talk that next. Curtis Rogers and the quarterback, Jake Eves, right here. Seattle Sports Night on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on 710 ESPN Seattle. And you can text DRAFT to 710-710 to receive exclusive Seahawks draft alerts throughout all seven rounds. Listen live Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Thursday-Friday coverage begins at 3 p.m. And join us for a live video stream at 710sports.com throughout every minute of the draft all three days. That's DRAFT to 710-710 to stay plugged in. Our coverage of the 2019 NFL Draft brought to you by TSA jobs. Hopefully they can get us like free pre-check. That'd be pretty. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Could, could, could we get that deal? We should yeah. maybe ask around the station if that's part of the deal here. Right. That I'm all down for that. Uh, coming up in about 15 minutes. Four down territory. The Seahawks are they? Could they be interested in some surprise positions that ones you may not be looking at right now on your draft board at home? Because I know you've got one in your war room. So, <laughs> oh yes, I, I've got one locked in. I've got it in in my uh, you know in my room right now, and my wife hates it. Uh, yeah. But uh, it's it's that time of year. You just got to put up with it because you got in order to make room for the whiteboard in the room. You got to kind of like take up her side of the bed. That's right. That's yeah. right. It, you know our <laughs> Sorry, our, our family pictures that we have. Nope, you got to take those down. We got to put up the whiteboard. I've got my uh, you know I've got my magnets and slapping on my you know my mock draft and so you know. Got to got to hold up to that until after the draft's over. Draft season waits for no one. <laughs> uh, Mariners, though, they are still in the thick of it, at least here in the uh, first part of the season. Just down a couple of games to the Houston Astros in the American League West race, even after a six-game losing streak. But they're still thirteen and eight. Well, actually, after tonight, that'll change. But 
They were 13-2 and two to start the season. It looked like they were going to just breeze on into the postseason, which has Man. Yeah, but... World Series all the way. Absolutely. But that's changed a little bit over the last couple, of, or at least over the last week or so. But where do the Mariners' playoff hopes stand even after this six-game losing streak? Where do they stand in terms of the rest of the American League? Well, that brings us to tonight's Big If True. This can't be happening! Big. You can't be serious, man. If. Did Did he he say say that? that? True. History is going to change. The bottom line on the hottest opinions of the day. You cannot be serious! Tonight's Big If True comes to us from ESPN's Jeff Passan who is a bi-weekly guest of Brock and Salk, normally on Tuesdays. He was with them today. You can check that out on the podcast page, 710sports.com. Click on the podcast there. Also, you can download the Seattle Sports Night podcast while you're at it. But Passon, he talked about the Mariners' playoff chances, which at the beginning of the season, I don't think anybody had that in mind with this team, considering the amount of talent that left the organization and what they got back in return. Definitely not the sexy names in baseball. Edwin Encarnacion, Jay Bruce, those aren't guys who you would consider to be super-duper stars the way that Robinson Cano and and Nelson Cruz and Gene Segura and Edwin Diaz are, and and also James Paxton, but they've performed well. Jay Bruce, I believe, is still second in the American League in home runs. Edwin Encarnacion, he's given them good at-bats. Domingo Santana, one of the best hitters in the American League right now. Jeff Passan asked about the Mariners and just where they are right now, and he says that they're better than he thought they'd be. Like, honestly, all joking aside here, the Mariners are better than I thought they were going to be. They actually are. Uh, they, they have distinct weaknesses, but I really do think that they can hit. And, and you know what the problem is? They ran into probably the two best pitching teams in the American League this week. Like, that, that's, that, that's all it comes down to. Like, they ran into really good pitching. And, and here's the thing in 2019, man – if you can hit bad pitching, you're probably going to be an okay team. And I think the Mariners have shown they can hit bad pitching. Now, if you can't hit good pitching, probably not going to win much in the playoffs. And so you look at last night when we were talking about this, mm-hmm. we kind of pinpointed it as though the Mariners ran up against two buzzsaw pitching staffs in Cleveland and Houston, two teams that have had a long track record of postseason success in recent seasons. Cleveland going to a World Series, Houston winning one, and they did it with the pitchers that just mowed down the Mariners over this last week. Yeah. You look at the series that lies ahead for the Mariners in Anaheim against the Angels, the best pitcher they're going to face is Trevor Cahill, who was a good pitcher about six or seven years ago, but now is nowhere near that. You've got Felix Pena, who is just pretty journeyman himself, Chris Stratton, Another guy, Jaime Berea, who the Mariners, I believe last year they had like an eight-run inning off of Berea. So you look at what lies ahead for the Mariners on this road trip, it is certainly much more advantageous than facing maybe the best team in the American League in Houston and then a team that is likely going to win the American League Central in Cleveland. Yeah. To me, that's where... This becomes a fascinating conversation. It was just kind of a a joke to us a little bit last night that it would be hilarious if the Mariners made the playoffs, not because they were good or better than what we thought they were, but simply because they just weren't as bad as everybody else in the AL. And I think that that's still a a legitimate thing at this point. Just because they're going on this six-game skid, 
to me, it's it, it's just disappointing that here this great run that they had was, and maybe this team is legit. Maybe this team um, could overcome their deficiencies with an incredible at-bats and a lineup that has got a ton of power and that their new control-the-zone control approach is, is taking shape and can overcome all that. Well, what we found out is that, no, they're human, and they're kind of right where we thought they were in terms of comparing to the Astros and, uh, and facing great pitching that they did in Cleveland as well, is that they just simply are going to be a really fun team to watch, a middle-of-the-road team, uh, but uh, that has the capability of being explosive. And when they go up against really good quality pitching or really good quality teams like the Astros, they're just simply a cut above us. And it, we're not going to compete at that level this year. You look at the um, the scope of the American League right now, there are seven teams with a winning record. Four of them are in the American League West. Yeah, <laughs> Like that's just how bad the rest of the American League is. You've got Tampa Bay at 14-4 and four in the AL East, and then Cleveland and Minnesota are the only three other teams that have a winning record. And then in the American League West, the one team that has a losing record is the Angels, and they're 8-10, and 10, which, I mean, they're just two games away, or three wins away from having a winning record. Yeah. Like, the rest of the AL is just so garbage right now, and no one had predicted that the Red Sox, through 19 games, would have the worst, or would have the second worst record in baseball, only behind the Miami Marlins, who are in complete teardown mode. This is a Red Sox team that, what, seven months ago was hoisting the World Series trophy? Right. Winning 108 ball games. Now they have six wins. The Yankees, 8-9 and nine with the just the rash of injuries that have hit that organization. No D.D. Gregorius, no Miguel Andujar, no Dellen Batances, no Luis Severino. All of these huge names uh, over the last couple of years that have contributed to their success, they're going to be out for a long time. Cleveland, without Francisco Lindor right now, you don't know if they're going to be able to run away with the AL Central. Minnesota, they're an interesting team, but, I mean, they don't really have any names outside of Nelson Cruz, who hasn't produced the way that he did here in Seattle. He only has, I think, one home run to this point. Yeah. Just by proxy, the Mariners and the start that they've gotten off to like that's the best part about that start is that you can't get rid of the thirteen wins that they exactly. picked up. Yeah, exactly. Like, it makes the road ahead of them that much easier because of the start that they got off to. They don't have to play to a winning record expectation to finish with a winning record. Mm-hmm. And now you look at where they're at, and they may be good enough to to win the wild card, which is just ridiculous to think about. Jeff Passan agrees, and he thinks that they can be a wildcard team based off of the buy-in from the guys in the clubhouse. Now, that's the sense that I got, actually, from the Mariners' clubhouse, that there's some buy-in, and in that the, the process that they have right now, like the advanced scouting stuff that I talked about, especially on the hitting side, the way that the players talked about that, it was almost with reverence, and it shows that some of these processes that they're putting into place are working. So, are the Mariners uh, in that creme de la creme right now? No. But at the end of the year, I don't think you're going to see like 400-win teams in the American League. I think it's going to be fairly spread out and, and that a team like the Mariners can't threaten for a wild-card spot. 
Passon brings up the buy-in of guys in the clubhouse. We heard it a lot in spring training. Guys speci- like Marco Gonzalez, yeah. to be specific, where he was asked about the step back or the perceived step back, and he was quick to dismiss that. And he said, you know what, this is a team full of competitive guys. This is a team full of guys that want to win, regardless of what the front office has set out for this organization. And we're seeing it kind of come to life, even with this six-game losing streak. We're seeing it come to life, and guys in this clubhouse over the first three weeks of this season, they're playing for each other. And there is a buy-in that I don't think we've seen in years past, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, they struggled against Houston and Cleveland, but you can't take away what they did the season's first two weeks because they were just tearing the cover off the ball. And, I mean, they still have the second-best run differential in baseball right now, even after six consecutive losses. Yeah. I mean, just it goes to show where the Mariners are uh, and just how they can continue to build. Yeah, I, I really like where they're at right now. And we'll see how this, how this uh, season continues to progress for them. But if they can be on this track, if they can get into a wild-card spot, uh, with all jokes aside – I think that this is a great step for them. And now when you start talking about adding together the pieces that they traded for this past off season, now you look at this and you could add a Justice Sheffield to the season in May. You saw what Swanson could do for you last night. And if he could, could if he could keep up uh, that pace, now you're looking at one of the, one of the top young pitchers in baseball. And, yeah. and if, and if Justice Sheffield could be around that same part, now you're looking at a much improved, uh, starting pitching rotation. Um, and, and, I mean, that's not the only help that could be on the way. You look at Tim Beckham, who has really cooled off since his blistering start. you got J.P. Crawford, who for the last couple of years has been one of the best prospects in baseball. Mm-hmm. He's off to an incredible start at AAA. Shed Long, another guy who they got from the Cincinnati Reds organization, he's off to a great start as well. So it's not just with the pitching staff that there could be reinforcements in the season's second half, but offensively, too. You know, you've got some young blood also on the offensive side of the ball, which is a really encouraging sign if the Mariners are, in fact, going to make a run at it because we've seen it in years past here where the Mariners finished with 86, 87, 89 wins or whatever. They weren't able to dip into their farm system and get some young guys out there and just get some, you know, take advantage of organizational depth to compete at that highest level, especially late into the season when these guys don't, get as tired easily as Correct. you know 40 year old dudes out there yeah instead of instead of having to trade and and gamble on trades out there uh around the league now you're able to build from within and add that depth and hopefully uh this season can progress and i'm really hopeful honestly is that even if we were continuing to go on this pace that we can trade aj bruce that we can trade in edwin encarnacion and get some good quality prospects out of those trades. To me, that is the most important thing for this team right now. That should be the priority, and I know it is for this team. Um, Even if they're on this playoff run, uh, I I would love to see the chances of those guys, those young guys, come up from within the organization to get at-bats, to get opportunities out there, um, and and see if they could add to that potential run rather than trying to uh, go all in uh, with adding other veteran presence uh, type of players just to just to see this thing through. You can listen to Seattle Sports tonight. 
via the 710 Sports app. It is driven by your Puget Sound Acura dealers. Coming up next, we wrap up this Thursday night with another edition of Four Down Territory, which under-the-radar quarterbacks have the best shot at becoming starters in the NFL. Under-the-radar quarterbacks in this year's draft. That's next. Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle. This, this is Four Down Territory on Seattle Sports at Night. You gotta dig deep, deep, deep. That's right. It's time to dig deep right here. Seattle Sports at Night, Four Down Territory. We close out this Thursday night, heading into Friday. It's Payday Friday. For That's us. right. Shout out to Payday Friday. Uh, right here. Let's get into it. Four down territory for the quarterback, Jake Eves. Number one. All right, Jake, you being the quarterback, you've got an eye for talent. Which day two or day three quarterbacks in this year's draft have the best shot at one day becoming starters in the NFL? Uh, it's a great question. In, in the draft and what this trend is usually gone is, is that you're, you're typically going to end up seeing some of the names that you are hearing about towards the top of the draft, first round prospects, they typically end up going higher, sliding higher in the draft than normal because people are so desperate to try and find a quarterback. This year's draft could potentially lock in the same way that we're talking about now, the defensive pass rushers and the way this defensive line group could change that, could shift that for the first time this season or this this draft season. Uh, but I would anticipate that you're going to see Kyler Murray, Dwayne Haskins, Drew Locke, Daniel Jones, those four guys go relatively high and be gone within the first rounds. Now, then from that point, you may get one guy going in the second, but typically those other quarterbacks get pushed back into the later rounds. So I would say names to keep out uh, an, an eye on that could potentially be really good players for you in the future. Uh, Will Greer from West Virginia is a guy that I think has good upside. Good, He's got a good frame. Uh, I, I like his game. Uh, the other guy is Jared Stidham from Auburn. Uh, physically, he's got all the tools. He can spin the ball. He is a pure passer, as pure as it gets. Um, and, and, you know, in Auburn's system, it was well enough for him to get noticed and get to this point, but it didn't. that, that system isn't quarterback friendly necessarily so I think that he's a guy that could really thrive in a pro style system the other guy who I'm very very high on is Brett Rippon from Boise State Brett Rippon is not the sexy guy he's not uh, going he's not going to run a 4-7-4-8-40 but he is uh, mobile enough he is your true pocket passer who is extremely accurate can get the ball and at all points in uh, on the field and I think that he's going to be the biggest steal going into the day three draft range. Um, 6'2", 210, uh, and has the ability to, he is a very, very smart, accurate quarterback and tough. Uh, I really like Brett Rippon's game. And so those those three guys, Will Greer, uh, Jared Stidham, and Brett Rippon are, are names that you're going to hear in day two, day three potentially that I think could have a great, great career in the NFL. Number two. Second down. Seahawks showed some interest again in Austin Safarian Jenkins, tight end, and a few mocks have had them taking either Iowa tight ends TJ Hawkinson or Noah Fant in the first round. Were the Seahawks satisfied with their tight end production in 2019? No, they're not satisfied with their tight end production, and I think that they've got really good pieces. I think they've, I think with uh, Will Disley, him potentially coming back, and and if he's able to build off what he was what he could do in the first four games this season, 
uh, last season, I think they'll be extremely happy. Uh, you've got Ed Dixon, who is a good good tight end in this league, uh, but he is not a pass-catching difference maker down the field. Uh, and then Nick Vanette is should be that guy for them, uh, their third-round pick, and he just hasn't flourished in that category yet. So I know that they are looking at the tight end position, that it is a position of, of, of real interest to them uh, because eventually you have to look at the depth. You've got Nick Vanette, who's going to be coming up as a free agent after this season, and then Ed Dixon as well. Uh, and so you have to really start looking at the future of your position at tight end. And right now you know Will Desley's going to be there, and you don't know about the other guys at that point in time. So if you could find a real difference maker, both in the blocking schemes that they that they like to run and be a big-time difference maker in the passing game, could, could spell... Uh, really good results for the Seahawks. Number three. Third down here in four-down territory, Seattle Sports at night. Which high-ranking draft prospect are you completely out on? I am. It's amazing how, how much his name is cooled off, but DK Metcalf from Ole Miss. I'm, uh, the, workout the, warrior. The workout so. sensation, the, 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 the guy who took Twitter by storm. And then ultimately took the combine by storm with his performances. Uh, physically, he's got all the tools. He can run. Straight line speed is, is as good as it gets. Uh, but his overall game, I think he's a good player. I do not think he is a surefire first-round pick that everybody's got him pegged to be. So if that's a name that came blistering hot through this draft process, uh, I would say that that's a name that I would want to stay far, far away from. DK Metcalf, he of the 1.9% body fat. Uncredited. I don't. Just, I still don't think that's humanly possible. I, there, there are some people that for him, like, I know he's worked extremely hard and there's nothing to take away, but there is also just some God-given ability for some of these guys who just show up and they don't need to work out. They are just physically gifted that way, and those are the people that drive me the most crazy because <laughs> I had to work so hard just to just be in somewhat – uh, good shape that I look like a football player. <laughs> Number four. Fourth down, last opportunity to put seven on the board before we head on out of here on this Thursday night. Jake Heaps, last question to you. Is there a position the Seahawks could take a flyer on in this draft that would surprise you? Uh, I mean, tight end definitely would be one. We talked about that already, but I think that the other position that may surprise everybody that they end up drafting is inside linebacker. And the reason for that being is the fact that you have a Michael Kendricks on a one-year deal. You have K.J. Wright, who's on a three-year deal, um, and you don't know the health of K.J. Wright. You're banking that last year was just an aberration, and I would anticipate that being the case. But you got to cover your tracks, and you have to build for the future. And they picked Shaquem Green uh, last year in the draft. And to me, we'll see what that turns out to be. But I don't think that Shaquem Green is going to be a legitimate inside linebacker in the National Football League. Uh, and so uh, I think that you have to you have to start building around Bobby Wagner. And if you can find a legitimate inside linebacker late in the rounds that could be a, a potential difference maker, I think that it's a smart decision to do so. That is another edition of Four Down Territory right here on Seattle Sports at Night. Interesting to, to see the Seahawks be interested in, in, or not explicitly be interested in tight ends, but, I mean, 
you think with having Will Disley coming back being healthy, Ed Dixon, who they brought in, had a lot of high hopes. He'll he'll be healthy, hopefully, for the entire season because he was on the pup list Correct. to begin the year. And then Nick Vanette, you'd think with a healthy tight end core, they would be satisfied with that. But that kind of speaks to just how Pete and John run things, where they're really never satisfied at a position except for maybe quarterback now. Yeah. But to see the Seahawks – maybe even take a first-round pick on one of the two Iowa tight ends. That would, to me, I think I would be okay with that pick because it would show that they're still looking to help Russell Wilson and give him weapons to throw to. Yeah. And whether that be you know, a wide receiver or a tight end or a running back or whatever, I think it sh- it does show that they are going to look at airing it out maybe a little bit more than they had in years past. The, absolutely. Well, and you got to look at the way that this offense is built as well. Is that you, uh, you the majority of your offense in the, in the passing scheme is surrounded by or it revolves around Tyler Lockett and Doug Baldwin. Doug Baldwin's future is very, very, very much in the air right now, and that is a big concern. <laughs> Uh, for the Seahawks, and I think it's a bigger concern than people may realize that they need to address this situation because you got to understand this is also a one-year stopgap situation for Doug. We're talking about Doug for this season. We have absolutely no idea after he's done with his contract what's going to happen if they are able to re-sign him, if Doug even wants to continue to play. We don't know that, and and so uh, for all the questions that are going on for this season – Next year is even much so. So you have to build for the future. You have to start thinking about that. And the sooner that you can address it, the better. Because even if you have Doug Baldwin this season with a higher draft pick, that is just going to mean that your offense is more potent and you've got more weapons for Russell Wilson. That is another edition of Four Down Territory. That's going to do it for us here on this Thursday night. Shout out to you for tuning in. You can check out the podcast, 710sports.com. Apple Podcast, Google Play, we're there for you as well. Make sure you're downloading that. For my buddy Jake Heaps, I'm Curtis Rogers. This is Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle.